So uh, most likely says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, Lord, we just welcome you here, Lord. We just thank you for the snooks. Thank you for what you're doing there. And God, we thank you for Donna, who's going to bring the word this morning, and also others who are sharing what you're doing in their lives. And God, you desire to fulfill what purposes that you have for us. And Lord, even just making us more fully human and more fully like Jesus. Lord, we just thank you because you're at work among us. And so we give you all the praise and the glory and honor in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and welcome Donna coming up. Am I on? Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. I I want to first thank Dennis and the elders for giving me an opportunity to teach the word this morning. Uh, It is a great honor and privilege, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I'd like to start out with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the commitment that each person has made to be here this morning. And we say, Lord, we're here not to just attend a church service, but we're here to engage with you, to experience you here in this place, and in our hearts. So I invite you, Jesus, to come. Come and startle us with your presence this morning and shine your light on which part of this message is meant specifically for us. Lord, we give you permission to highlight whatever that is this morning. Come and meet us in this place and lead us to a place of deeper intimacy with you. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is the most often recited passage in all of Christian scripture, and it is used and accepted by Christians all over the world of all denominations. The Lord's Prayer appears in two places in the Bible, in the book of Matthew here, as Paul read during the Sermon on the Mount, and also in the book of Luke chapter 11, which is when Jesus was was off praying, apparently by himself. And when he had finished, one of the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus gave these familiar words. And in this prayer, in the Lord's prayer, Jesus actually takes us to the Father because the way to the Father is through him. The Lord's Prayer can be considered the blueprint for how to lead an authentic spiritual life. The words are few, and Jesus has chosen them very carefully. Each one is rich with meaning and instruction and abounding in divine grace. So let's dig in. Our Father. Well, these first two words are often thought about as just the intro, just to get us ready for the real prayer. But this is not true. 
The first word is our. Now, notice that this is not my father. It's our father. We are taught to have both a horizontal relationship with God and a vertical one. A vertical one in that God is our father, our loving parent, and we have direct access to him through prayer. Horizontal in that he is our, our father. Our faith is communal, and we are meant to walk it out in relationship with one another. We are one body in Christ. Our father. The second word is father. Notice that it doesn't say our creator or our king, although these words would be equally as accurate. But no, Jesus chooses the word father. This Galatians 3.26 says, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the theology of adoption. And it is an essential and foundational piece in our understanding of who God is and who we are in relationship to him. We may have difficulty fully grasping the idea of God being our father and struggle in some ways to walk that out in our lives. But unlike our earthly parents, our father in heaven is a perfect parent faultless, faithful, loving, generous, interested in everything that you do, always available, respecting and honoring both your uniqueness and your free will. You are born into this world through your earthly parents, but you are born again into the family of God through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in you. Adoption is an act of a father. Adoption is a legal action, sealing and securing the bond of true family. So the Lord's Prayer starts with this doctrine of adoption. You are invited to saturate yourself in the joy of your adoption. Rejoice in it. And when you pray, come before God as his beloved child with childlike humility, trust, and love. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And just think, we have the privilege of calling Father the same person that Jesus did. Hallowed be your name. So after we pray our Father in heaven, we pray, hallowed be your name. So so here's this word, hallowed. It's not a very common word, is it? Hallow is an old English word that means make holy, sanctify, honor as holy, consecrate, ordain. It's not a word that we would use to describe anything other than God. We wouldn't say, hallowed be my family. Or, hallowed be my job. No, this is a word reserved for God. We are to treat God's name as holy, to recognize it, to be drawn into it as the source of all holiness. 
If you hallow something more than God, it will distort the way you see yourself. It will distort your identity. What do you hallow in your life? And in your solitude, what what do you spend time thinking about? Because whatever you spend time thinking about is what you will adore. If you adore the external things in life, you may end up feeling unfulfilled, depressed, and anxious. If you adore God, he will occupy your thoughts and occupy your heart in a way that releases spontaneous praise, adoration, and worship. When you truly hallow God's name, adoration becomes the primacy of your life. And praising and worshiping God then begins to frame your prayer life. It's, from, it's then from this place of praise and adoration that we are then qualified to make requests to God. Adoration must come before we ask God for anything. Your kingdom come. God's kingdom is the domain where his will actually happens. And that includes his rule and reign in a believer's heart. When our hearts are aligned with him, we are empowered to say, your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. And not at some later point in time or when we die, but now, now. When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, at that very moment, you receive the kingdom of God within you. Christ-likeness is not formed by imitation. It's formed by inhabitation. Christ formed in you. This is the extraordinary, revolutionary invitation to receive the kingdom of God into this vessel. And the kingdom within us is the divine advantage we carry as we walk out a life of faith in this broken world. So how are you stewarding the kingdom of God in you? When Christ is formed in us, we carry his glory daily. And this glory within can open doors in ways we've never imagined. And we can experience God's kingdom come crashing into the everyday experiences of our lives. One way this can happen is through a word of knowledge, which is when God downloads uh, information about a person or a situation to you that you wouldn't otherwise know. I recently had an example of this uh, happening to me. I went downtown for lunch with a girlfriend of mine. We went downtown. We came to the restaurant, sat down. Um, The waiter came over, introduced himself as Eric. He asked where we were from. We asked where he was from. He said he was from Union, Kentucky. And I paused for a minute, and I said, Eric, 
you're from Union, Kentucky, and you work up here in Cincinnati. And my sense is that after work, you leave Cincinnati and you drive directly home to your apartment in Union, Kentucky. You never stop to, to meet with friends or go out or do anything with friends. You just go home to your apartment and you tend to stay there. And you're kind of gotten into this place of just being alone. You're not married and you don't have a girlfriend, but you'd really like things to change in your life. And, you know, Eric, I really have a sense that things are about to change for you as you are aware of this in your life and you take a step out of where you are. God will bless you. Well, he looked at me and he said, how do you know those things about me? And I said, well, sometimes God shows me things about people. And so when God's spirit reigns within us, both the natural and the supernatural will flow through us at the same time. Your will be done. From a place of intimate connection with God, we are empowered to pray, your will be done. And this is one prayer that never fails. Praying your will be done doesn't mean, oh, make it possible for me to follow all the rules. It means, let your will happen. Have your way with me. And it means submitting to his will while at the same time submitting to the trials and afflictions of our lives. Notice that we say, your will be done before we start asking God for things. A heart that cries out, your will be done in my life, is a heart in full surrender to God's will. And so the purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to ours, but for us to soften our will to his. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. This is what theologians call the gimme prayer. That's a joke. Thank you, Dave. That was a joke. Yeah, that was a joke. Okay. Prayer is a way to change our circumstances. So people love this prayer because we have a situation and we want it changed. But please note that these words, give me today my daily bread, comes in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. We need to first be confident in knowing who we're coming to, our Father in heaven. If we are completely submitted to his will, our perspective on what we pray for will reflect that. So I come before God, choosing to let him sit on the throne of my life, not anyone or anything else. If I put my family on the throne, I need to unseat my family. If I put my job on the throne, I need to dethrone my job. I must choose to decenter anything in my life that gets in the way of the throne of God. And it is from this mindset that we are to make our requests to God. So how do we respond when God doesn't answer the prayers that we offer in the way we want him to? Do we get angry or think, well, God doesn't really care about me? 
Or do we say, Lord, I know that you know much more about this situation than I do. May your will be done. I trust you in this. And I say your way, not my way. And give me the grace to accept whatever the outcome might be. We get humble, knowing that we're not praying to a genie in a bottle, but to our Heavenly Father, who loves each of us unconditionally. And in some mysterious way that we don't understand, He uses all things to bring about good in the lives of those who love Him. Timothy Keller, a well-known pastor and author, believes that God always responds in some ways, in some way to our prayers. So look at this. He says this, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Notice that the prayer asks for our daily bread, not weekly bread, monthly bread, but daily bread. God is teaching us dependence, daily dependence for nourishment, and not just physical nourishment. God's provision supplies us with healthy nourishment for our body, soul, and spirit. And it reflects the promise of his ongoing and unbroken care for us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel message and is mentioned as often as love is by Jesus. It's been said, he who forgives little loves little. Jesus calls us into a lifestyle of forgiveness. Unforgiveness sickens our soul and poisons our relationships. It's an emotional cancer that, that produces anger, resentment, and bitterness, and it actually eats us away from the inside out. Unforgiveness left undealt with can attack our physical body, leading to hypertension, heart disease, digestive issues, a weakened immune system. In soul care appointments, when I encounter people who are dealing with some really heavy-duty emotional stuff, I always ask them, well, where in your physical body are you carrying those emotions? And you know what? They always know. They'll say, well, I got this chronic migraine thing that just won't go away. Or my neck is always sore and I can't relieve the pain. Or my digestive system is all messed up and I can't figure out why. It becomes physical. Practicing forgiveness is one of the most important things that you can do to promote robust physical health. And it's far better than any pill you could take, and it's a lot cheaper. So why do we have such a hard time forgiving? Because we don't feel like it, right? Well, guess what? You're never going to feel like forgiving someone who's hurt you. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision of the will. So we must choose to forgive, knowing that God's divine grace will give us the strength and courage to forgive 
and walk in freedom. I want to just share a couple examples of forgiveness that that I've experienced that are really powerful. And the first one relates to our dear, sweet Dell Stringfield over there, who we all know and love, Mama Dell. You taught me one of the most important uh, lessons in forgiveness. About eight years ago, uh, Dell's beloved daughter, Cammie, was shot and killed on her property. And at the funeral, it was known that Dell had already forgiven this man who was her, her daughter's uh, estranged ex-husband. Dell had already forgiven him. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, my faith is insufficient. There is no way that I could do what Dell did. And that time began to teach me much more about what forgiveness truly is and God's role in it. The second example is from a woman who came in for a soul care appointment to see me, and she was really struggling in her marriage. Uh, Actually, she was contemplating divorce. And so when I listened to her story, she listed out all these things, all these bad things her husband had done. There was a whole list of them. And after that, I said, well, do you think there might be some way that you could forgive him? And she said, well, no. Are you kidding me? Did I, I just told you all these things he's done. My heart is really hardened toward him. No, I can't forgive him. So I said, well, what is it that you'd like Jesus to do in your situation? And she said, I'd like Jesus to somehow soften my heart. And I said, okay. Well, if it's okay with you, I'd like to take a minute to pray for your husband. And when I do that, I want to invite you to close your eyes, move out any distractions in your mind. I want you to listen to what my words are and also listen to the Lord and just see what you sense might be happening. Would you be okay with that? She said, yes, I would. And so I prayed. And at the end of my prayer, I looked at her and said, Did you, have you sensed anything at all? And she said, Well, well while you were praying, I, I, I felt like the Lord was showing me that some of these issues that my husband is dealing with are rooted in issues from his past that he was not responsible for. And I, beginning to feel some compassion toward him, feel like my heart is softening a bit. So I said, well, what, what do you feel like it's time for now? And she said, I think I want to forgive him. And so she did. With God's help, she did. Lead us not into temptation. This petition to lead us not into temptation is a cry for the renewing of our minds, because sin starts here. We first have to think about doing something before we decide to do it. Proverbs 27.3 says, the way a man thinks, he is. The thought comes before the action. When you experience temptation, remember this. Temptation is a sign of how much Satan hates us. Not a sign of weakness or worldliness, Even Jesus was tempted. You will be tempted. So 
We must take authority over our minds. So let's superglue our thoughts and intentions to our foreheads and put a do not disturb sign out. We can start with that. Because if Satan infiltrates your mind and controls your thoughts, the life of Jesus in you will be on life support. Deliver us from the evil one. We know we're called to put on the full armor of God. So do it. Take up the sword of the Spirit every day and stand firm in the promise of 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Dallas Willard says that the Lord's Prayer is a powerful lens through which we are called to see the world as God himself sees it. So what should our posture be when we pray the Lord's Prayer? How should we prepare ourselves to pray these holy words given to us by Jesus? What should our foundational belief system be? So here are two big ideas. Number one, to know and believe that God is who he says he is. And two, to know your identity in relationship to God. And number one, knowing and believing that God is who he says he is. Well, that sounds pretty simple, right? But many people struggle with this. Through our life circumstances, we might come to believe that God's love is conditional. What you think about God the thoughts that you have about him are the most important thoughts you will ever have. Because your thoughts about who God is not only reflects your relationship with him, but it reflects your identity as his child, and it will affect every meaningful relationship in your life. Sometimes in soul care appointments, when people express beliefs about God that are not aligned with truth, I'll often say to them, you know, I think God might want to be given a chance to clear his name with you, to affirm his true character. Would you be willing to go to him in prayer and let's check this out? Number two, knowing your identity in relationship with God. When people seem to struggle with their identity, I I like to ask them two questions. Number one, who do you say you are? How would you describe yourself? And two, who does God say you are? And then are these two answers the same? If you see yourself differently than the way God sees you, you're having an identity crisis. And if you're having an identity crisis, you're in good company because Moses had an identity crisis. Moses was born a Hebrew slave, but raised as Egyptian royalty, the grandson of Pharaoh. When he grew up, he faced two options. He could pretend to be Pharaoh's grandson for the rest of his life and lead a life of luxury, uh, fame, and power, or he could admit who he really was child of God and a Jew. If he admitted who he really was, his family would kick him out to live with slaves the rest of his life. He would be disgraced and humiliated and live a life of pain and drudgery. 
What would you choose? Many people today are trying to be people they're not. But Moses refused to live a lie because he was a man of integrity. He insisted on being who God made him to be, despite the worst kind of peer pressure. We must learn and grow in the truth of our identity in Christ. During soul care appointments, I'll often ask people to write out their personal identity statements, who they are in Christ. These are called I am statements. And I encourage them to write it out, then put it on their bathroom mirror, keep it in their wallet, put it in their car, and speak it over themselves. Declare your identity in Jesus out loud. Because the words you speak over yourself have tremendous spiritual power. Even Jesus created an identity statement, and he wasn't shy about declaring it. The book of John lists the seven I am statements of Jesus. And here they are. This is Jesus' identity statement. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Now, our identity statements might not be quite as lofty as Jesus's, but they are equally as powerful in our own lives. Now, I've asked uh, someone in our congregation to share his personal identity statement this morning. So, Carlos, I just want to ask you to stand up and read yours. Thank you. You can come up here if you like. You're comfortable with that? Um, what I'm going to read right now is a very personal, and, uh, and this is the first time that I want to read it in public. Um, actually, I know this um, by heart, but because all of you <laughs> had to read it because I'm extremely nervous right now. Um, and also... What I'm going to read, what I want to share with all of you, come from this point of view. Um, when I heard this concept before, immediately I thought uh, about um, a positive mind, you know. Like, this is a positive mind. This is a positive statement, you know. And uh, six months ago, I was in Israel. And uh, this lady crossed me. He said something that I've been heard for years and years, he says something, um, because love, God loved me. And immediately in, in my heart, I say, well, I mean, sure, I mean, I heard that. And then she said this, Be, because he loved me first. And that was the kick for me. Um, what I'm going to read is not based on my willpower or my will positive mind. It's based on God. How sees me is based on this relationship that I have with him. It's not just with me. I'm valuable. I'm strong. I'm capable. I'm talented. 
and trustworthy. I'm free from condemnation. I'm blessed. I'm accepted. I'm equipped. I'm forgiven. I enjoy my life. I'm successful. I'm prosperous. I'm healthy. I am a victorious person, not a victim. I am a child of the most high God. In Jesus' name, amen. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. You are indeed all those things. I affirm that in you. Bless you so much. Amen. Yes, we affirm all those things in you, Carlos. You are amazing and all of those things. Thank you. Dennis has been encouraging you to write I will statements in your journal. So I want to encourage you to write your own I am statements in your journal next to your I will statements because what you do, what you will do, flows from who you are. Yeah? Okay. We um, have journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Hill as Dennis calls it, and we... Uh, have often talked about the renovation of the heart. And uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, God looks at the attitude of the heart. Our heart is the seed of our center, and it's been said that the greatest healing that can take place is the healing of our heart. And so uh, I want to invite Sean Jackson to come up. And Sean has a testimony to share about the process that he's been undergoing, the renovation of his heart. And I just want to say that this process for Sean, this this, uh, open heart spiritual surgery in Sean is still going on, right? It's still in in process. So I I just want to take authority over this sanctuary space and declare it a virus-free zone. Yeah? Are you with me on that? And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and purify the atmosphere here and sanctify this this place so that when Sean exposes his heart, that it remains healthy uh, and protected in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, re- I'm, I'm redeemed in the blood of Christ. So. Yes, you are. I'm yes, good. you are. Uh, I, I also just want to say that it takes a lot of courage For someone to come and stand up in front of our entire congregation and share some really personal things. And I just want to thank Sean for doing that. The reason he's doing it, as I've encouraged him, is that there are other people here who are dealing with similar stuff. And when you hear someone's own testimony, it can be a tremendous encouragement. So we thank you, Sean, for your your willingness to come. So uh, I have a few questions for Sean that I, that I prepared that he knows about that I'm just going to ask him and let him, uh, let him respond. Sorry, my notes are all messed up here. So, well, first of all, when Sean, when Sean came in for a soul care appointment to, to see me, uh, he said that he wanted to hear from God better, like his ability to hear from God. Uh, something had gone wrong in that area, and he wanted to hear from God in a better way. So, Sean, um, tell us what was going on in your life at that time and, and what your relationship with God was like then. Yeah, just as a little, 
bit of background. Uh, so 2018 has been wonderful. Um, and the reason being in, in uh, towards the end of 2017, I made a real big decision in my life, which was for many years I'd been miserable. Uh, I, I was, you know, life was a grind. Uh, it was really hard to get up in the morning. Um, I was numb, quite frankly. Uh, I was functional. I could carry on my job. I could love my son. But I was numb. Um, uh, I'm sure many of you can kind of relate to that. Um, I made a decision that I couldn't change by myself. I didn't have the power to. I obviously didn't. This had gone on for years, right? Um, this had just popped up. This wasn't sporadic. It was ongoing. And as I looked at myself and I looked where I'd be in 10 years, I thought, I'm going to go downhill. This, I, I've seen some examples of people that carry bitterness and, and anger and that isolate themselves. I have, I have living examples of that in my life. I didn't want to be that. I couldn't be that. Um, but I didn't know how to change. I needed help. So at the end of 2017, I went to Dennis and I said, I, needed, I need somebody to disciple me. Uh, I also made a decision, even though I didn't like being around people that well, uh, that I would join a small group. And these things have been marvelous. I don't want you to think that everything has been negative. But what I do want to let you know, especially if you can relate to some of what I'm saying, is it went against every fiber of my being. I was not, I'm still not wired for righteousness. Um, meaning there's good things, beneficial things that I could be doing in my life, but I chose not to over and over because of the pain, because of uh, the depression, because of, I had many different reasons, just because I didn't want to, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, I made a decision at the end of 2017, I couldn't do it myself, I needed help, and whatever pain came, I would bear it and, and, and work through it, and I would trust the people that, uh, that were getting involved with me, and quite honestly, man, it's been fantastic, <laughs> I, mean, I can't say enough. Okay, so, so, uh, oh, so anyways, in terms of uh, where I was when I came to you, uh, things were starting to move, quite yeah. frankly, in the right direction. Uh, I would say in my own, my own words, I was getting freedom. You know, the depression, the anxiety, uh, the fear that I woke with and walked around with every day, the negative feelings that whenever I tried, tried to do something, there'd be a part of me always saying, you're going to fail, you know? You, why even bother trying? This was just ongoing. It was, it was a huge distraction. I really envied people that could just do things, and, and I couldn't. Like, I had to climb a mountain in my mind to, to, to get to there. So in terms of, uh, in terms of that, uh, I started uh, working with Mark Symes, who was my discipler, um, uh, started being cleansed and freed of that. But I still wasn't necessarily hearing from God in a way that I, I thought was like a more intimate relationship. And I craved that. And when I heard Amanda and Chris speak, I don't know if they're here today, but I thought, I want some of what they got, quite frankly. I want to hear from the Lord. And that's when I approached you. Okay. Yeah. And so our time with Jesus in prayer led you to an examination of your heart. Uh, you've shared a little bit, but what did you learn about the condition of your heart and, and how it was affecting the relationships in your life? 
I already told you guys, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not wired for righteousness, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Meaning, you know, uh, my first instinct necessarily isn't always the most edifying one. Um, what I learned was some of the past hurts. You know, we have people in our lives that God has put in our lives to bless us. And quite frankly, he's put some people in our lives that challenge us. And that's a really nice way of saying some other things. But uh, it's just truthful. Um, the, the, the hard part, that especially Donna, is kind of like a spirit whisperer. I didn't know these things about myself. I should have. I like that. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. I get, some, I get different things from Donna than necessarily I get from Mark Simes. I get great things from Mark. I get great things from my small group, but I get different things from Donna. And I think that's how the, uh, the spirit and the, the ministry of Jesus works. Uh, and that's why we've got to interact and, and interrelate to each other. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to ask you about what you discovered about your... You discovered that your heart... Uh, in prayer, what, what, what sort of came out is that yeah. Sean was really protecting his heart. And Absolutely. that was, a, it was kind of a revelation to him that he hadn't really noticed before. So that was kind of where, where we started. Um, and um, anything else about uh, what you learned about God in the midst of this? Yeah. So, so just to kind of go off what Donna said, is, um, there was people that were, were uh, they had taken advantage of me. It caused some pain and harm. I'm sure... Yeah, everybody in their lives has people like those. So I created very healthy barriers, healthy barriers, quite frankly. Um, however, where I went awry was in order to protect myself and to protect my heart and protect myself from more suffering, I started extending those walls to every other single person I didn't know. So essentially what I would do is I would start registering anyone I didn't already know as a threat, as a potential threat to myself, and I would wall them off and keep them apart from me. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really hard to hear what you had to say because as soon as you said it, I, I felt like I was on thin ice. But going back again, I felt, okay, this must be an area I need to grow in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I've, what I've been learning and where I've been growing and I will continue to grow is no longer guarding my own heart, allowing Jesus to be the shepherd of my heart. Um, that has yeah. been key, yeah. very key. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, boy, I can't really encapsulate this in a two minutes or less. I'm really apologize. But um, trusting God, that is, um, you know, when, when I look back, uh, for many years I was fairly miserable. And, and, I, and I looked at Psalm 51, and it said that uh, the, the perfect sacrifice for God is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I don't know about you guys. I had that in spades for many years. I mean, Raz, you sat with me in lunches, and I would just spew. I had that in spades, and I could not understand why God would bless others, and he would leave me where I was. And it made me feel that God was showing favoritism, and it made me sad. It hurt me, and it made me angry, and I didn't trust God. I, I figured he was taking, taking, uh, picking favorites, and I wasn't one of them. So, other than the salvation of Jesus, I didn't really see necessarily a need for a relationship with God. Um, this has really opened up because what I've learned is taking that uh, broken spirit and a contrite heart, but matching it with what I would call practical repentance, right? Saying, okay, I'm, my natural inclination is this way, but I'm going to turn from that, like pushing people away or not forgiving people that have hurt me in the past, and I will turn the exact opposite way. And I may not like it, and it may not feel comfortable to me, but I'm going to do it 
It will be, I'm going to master my own will over my emotions. I'm no longer going to let my emotions rule who I am and who I am becoming. I'm going to choose off in a, in a separate direction. And honestly, that has made all the difference in the world. I stand in front of you guys, a different guy. Raz is smiling because he knows. Bellinger knows. I mean, they've seen the before and the after. And part of this is coming from your trust level because before, as you told me, you didn't trust God, maybe 5%, and now you're close to 100%, and yeah, that's I would made say, uh, a huge difference. I, we, we have done it together. You know, I'm walking with God more. I tr- because I trust him, I think the key thing is just like in any relationship, if you didn't trust me, Donna, you wouldn't let me in. You wouldn't seek out my friendship at all. And if we have that same kind of view of God, that's how we're going to view God, which is arm's length. Let's be safe. This is the God who, in order to um, heal us, he's going to have to make us suffer. I don't know about you guys. I didn't want any more of that. But now I understand it. I understand that I have two open eyes. I no longer have planks in my eyes. I can see very clearly that there is suffering, yes. But on the other side, there is tremendous, tremendous freedom. And if I was using a big Christian word, I would say sanctification. I'm being actively sanctified. And it's all through the power of Jesus Christ and working with Donna and Mark Symes and honestly everybody. I mean, Bellinger and everybody in our small group, everybody has has played a role in me and God turning this thing around. So thank you very much. Yeah, that's awesome. And thank you, Sean. And uh, um... Praise God. Praise God. Yep. We'll just say okay. Is that it? Okay. So it was a big change for Sean to go from, as in his own words, from being a prisoner of his own heart to allowing Jesus to be the shepherd of his heart. And doing that has made a huge difference, and it's, it's ongoing. And Sean is more than willing to talk to any of you. If you want to know more, there's lots more to his story, so feel free to, uh, feel free to, to talk to him. Okay, I'd like to now ask the worship team to come back up, please. So as you hear Sean's story, I uh, just want to ask everyone here, what is the condition of your heart this morning? You may have given God access to some parts of your heart, and maybe even most of your heart, but the truth is that God will not be fully honored and glorified in your life until you have yielded your whole heart to, to him. And so this morning we have an opportunity for ministry for you to engage with God uh, during this final time of the service. As you'll remember, when I prayed in the beginning, I asked the Holy Spirit, gave him permission to come and highlight in each one of us what specifically is it from this service that God wants to speak to you about. What's been happening in here as you've been listening and hearing There is an invitation to come for prayer this morning. I want to ask the ministry team people to to stand, and we're going to line up on either side of the sanctuary space. And so what is it that might be stirring in you that might lead you to come for prayer? 
Maybe you've realized that in your life that you say, my kingdom come, not yours, God. And maybe the Lord's speaking to you about that. And maybe you want to declare that or get prayer for that this morning. Maybe you've been protecting your heart like Sean has. And you want prayer around helping you to release that place within you. Maybe you need prayer for the strength and courage to forgive someone that you know you need to forgive but haven't been able to. Maybe you are not walking in your true identity and you want to ask the Lord to speak into that. And if the Lord has shown you something about your identity during this service, I want to ask you to come up to one of these easels on either side where it says, I am. These are some I am statements from the first service. And write out, what is your I am statement? It could be one word or a sentence, but write it, declare it. Let us affirm and rejoice with you over your identity in Jesus Christ. And so there will be time for communion. There will be time for prayer, time for reflection. And so, Lord, I just ask for an open heaven over this sanctuary now. I ask you, Lord, to come and release healing and hope and freedom in your people. Come, Holy Spirit, come.